Angie's List is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. And I'm Ada Shen in Paris. The trade war gets a ceasefire, China car sales sputter, and the pork sector consolidates. Here's your news. The U.S. and China have agreed to the first phase of a trade deal, Bloomberg reported Friday, which would postpone new tariffs against China and give relief to some American companies that had been facing retaliatory taxation by Beijing. A new round of U.S. levies had been set to place 15% taxes on $160 billion U.S. dollars worth of Chinese imports, mostly consumer goods, but those will not be imposed December 15th as planned and may be scrapped altogether. Further details of the truce were not released by press time, but markets welcome the initial news and observers expect further concessions from both sides. Apple also avoided 15% tariffs on its most important products, the iPhone, iPad, and MacBooks, after U.S. President Donald Trump signed off on the trade deal. The new import duties could have added about $150 to the price of iPhones during the crucial holiday shopping season. Apple already is paying duties on the Apple Watch, AirPods, iMac desktop computers, and HomePod speaker. Some of those levies may be rolled back. Although the December 15 tariffs were averted, the broader trade war has exposed a weakness at the heart of Apple's business. The world's largest technology company relies on suppliers and manufacturing partners that are mostly based in China. Apple can't quickly move production to other countries, so it has counted on a furious White House lobbying campaign this year, led by Chief Executive Officer Tim Cook, to protect its key products from the tariffs. China's tech giant Huawei just got a seal of approval from one of Germany's biggest telecom companies. Telefonica's German unit, which operates the country's second-largest wireless network, picked Huawei and Finland's Nokia to take equal roles in supplying its fifth-generation mobile phone network upgrade, though the deal is subject to certification by German authorities. The announcement is a boon to Huawei after Deutsche Telekom said last week it stopped ordering new 5G equipment because of political uncertainty over Chinese suppliers. 
Huawei has repeatedly denied allegations its equipment could be used for espionage. Hawks in the intelligence community would like to tighten the rules in a way that would block Huawei completely. Chancellor Angela Merkel said in the past she didn't want to bar the Chinese company as long as it abides by certain security standards. It isn't yet clear what requirements will ultimately be put in place, so it may be too early for Huawei to declare victory in Germany. The world's largest auto market is set to see its second consecutive annual decline after three decades of explosive growth. China's car sales fell 5.4% in November from a year earlier and will likely be down nearly 8% for all of 2019, according to the China Association of Automobile Manufacturers. Sales of new energy vehicles in particular plummeted almost 44% in November following a similar drop in October. The causes include a weak Chinese economy, the end of generous government subsidies, and the rise of car sharing. The dour news is expected to trigger substantial consolidation among China's numerous domestic car makers. An eastern China city made a rare move to scrap a two-year-old curb on home sales designed to combat market speculation, but the easing lasted just one day. Zhang Jiagang, a manufacturing hub in Jiangsu province, lifted a policy that banned the resale of residential properties within two years of purchase. The news captured wide attention as it represented one of the boldest moves by a local government to loosen years of stringent control over the housing market. However, hours later, the policy change was suspended and had to, quote, wait for authorities' notice, close quote. The short-lived easing in Zhang Jiagang reflects a conundrum facing local authorities in managing the housing market amid a broader slowing of economic growth. Most local authorities rolled out restrictive measures to curb home transactions since 2016 in response to the central government's call to control the white-hot housing market and freewheeling home prices. Despite growing downward pressure on the world's second-largest economy, top policymakers have reiterated that the property market will not be used for short-term stimulus. But Beijing has eased its tough stance on the housing market by allowing local authorities to fine-tune policies according to the local conditions this year. A number of localities have moved to roll back some of the more restrictive measures, but cautiously. One of China's leading pig breeders has announced a major expansion involving more than $1 billion in new investment as consolidation picks up in a sector ravaged over the past year by an outbreak of African swine fever. Muyuan Foods is setting up 19 new subsidiaries and four joint ventures as the industry attempts to remake itself as a modernized agricultural powerhouse. The major expansion comes as China shows early signs of recovering from a swine fever outbreak that has decimated the industry for more than a year. China's pig herd grew by 2% in November compared with the previous month, marking the first such increase in a year. The positive turn came after earlier data showed the size of China's pork herd was down 41% by October when compared with the year earlier. Plunging supplies have led to a spike in prices, with pork prices more than doubling in November from a year earlier, driving China's inflation to a nearly eight-year high. The devastation has driven many smaller producers out of the sector, 
paving the way for major players like Muyen to boost their position with new investment as the industry starts to recover. China has executed a man who nearly two decades ago killed three officials as they prepared to forcibly sterilize his wife to meet targets under the country's now-scrapped family planning initiative known to many as the one-child policy. Wang Changshen, from the eastern province of Anhui, was put to death on December 4th. In 2000, Wang beat three rural officials to death with a hammer as they drove him and his wife to arrange a, quote, family planning operation, close quote, a commonly used euphemism for sterilization surgery, following the birth of their second child. Wang then fled for 17 years until he was arrested in 2017 and convicted the following year. The case is a reminder that the effects of China's decades-long family planning policies continue to haunt the country long after their abolition. Thanks, Ada. Let's turn now to Doug Young, Managing Editor of Caixin Global. Doug, we're talking again about another IPO of a Chinese company uh, and about IPOs more generally. What is the story here? Okay, the basic story is we got a company here in China which communistically or socialistically enough is called uh, U-Commune. This company may sound like it's uh, coming from the socialist era, but it's anything but. It's actually a, a company from the whole shared economy thing. And I think most of our listeners will know this company if we compare it to WeWork. I think lots of people know what WeWork does. They basically operate these big workspaces where you can basically get whatever you want. You can get a a one-person desk all the way up to a small office for maybe 10, 15 people. Very flexible. They have, you know, coffee shops, gyms, uh, just everything you could, you know, want, Wi-Fi and, and so forth. So U-Commune is sort of, they like to think of themselves as the WeWork of China. And guess what? They have just applied to do an IPO in, in New York, which is really interesting because the real WeWork or the original WeWork, which is actually also quite quite active here in China. They tried to do the same thing, I think it was back in September, and uh, those people who follow these things know the the real WeWork uh, was a disaster. Um, nobody wanted to buy this company. It had huge debt, um, was losing money hand over fist, and, and they the real WeWork ended up having to scrap their IPO and, and really was in sort of a, a rough situation. And, and SoftBank, which is one of their investors, came in and gave them a big wad of money, but at a much lower valuation than they'd previously been at. So it's sort of ironic that uh, now U Commune, the the communist slash Chinese equivalent, is going to probably end up, you know, if if this IPO goes ahead, we'll end up making it to market before we work. And the amount of money they're trying to raise is pretty modest. It's it's originally what they're saying is a hundred million dollars. So we'll have to see, you know, what happens. What's what's in the works for U Commune? So obviously there are problems that many companies in the sharing economy space have faced, including or, or maybe even especially in China. Uh, but beyond that, are there problems with IPOs more generally, a, a kind of IPO doldrums, uh, especially for U.S. listings? 
Yeah, I don't think a doldrum is the the word because there's been too many of them. It's it's actually the opposite. But uh, what's happening is uh, I think this uh, U-Commune IPO could face some some pretty strong headwinds. I mean, it's it's sort of a sexy company, but you know, people saw WeWork and said, "Hey, this ain't so sexy." So you may have a hard time selling people on uh, you know another WeWork after the first one did so poorly. But the other big story is that. Chinese IPOs in New York in general have just been doing miserably in terms of fundraising. Uh, we did an analysis here at Caixin, and of the last about a dozen that have gone to market over the last two, two and a half months since the end of September, every single one has had to slash their size of their offering by half or, or sometimes even by three quarters. Uh, there was a company, a Bitcoin mining machine company called Canaan that actually had to slash their offering by three quarters. Uh, they were originally trying to make $400 million, ended up having to settle for less than $100 million. So it's it's a tough market right now. Um, and just actually on the same day that uh, Ucommune filed for their listing, another company called OneConnect, uh, which makes financial software, filed an updated prospectus for their offering. They're, they're also doing another offering, another Chinese company, they were originally hoping to make about $500 million. And in their latest filing that just came the same day as Ucommune, they slashed that to 260. So again, they're cutting it by about half. And I asked some of my contacts. I think people are pretty skeptical about this one. Another interesting thing to note about uh, Ucommune is that it's all being done by Chinese investment banks, which is very unusual for a U.S. IPO by a Chinese company. Usually, they would go to Citibank and you know Morgan Stanley, those kinds of things. So um, it looks like there's pretty muted expectations for this one, and you know I think it's going to not end up doing so well. But that's pretty much par for the course in the current market. When you look at these companies that Tyson Global has analyzed, and you see the size of these initial public offerings being slashed. Um, is there something that they all have in common that's causing this, or are they all suffering from you know their own unique difficulties requiring their own explanations, or, or what? Well, I think the main thing that's going on is is most of these companies are just not that attractive. They're all trying to raise money when, in fact, they themselves aren't making money. Uh, the traditional IPO model is get your business up and running to the point where you're earning nice profits, showing nice growth get investors excited about your story. These companies are really almost all losing money uh, and sometimes big money. In the case of Ucommune, their their loss actually doubled in the first nine months of this year. So, you know, these are companies that are maybe a little half-baked. Uh, that's not to say they won't become good companies down the road, but if you're an investor, you don't know that. So maybe of these dozen companies I mentioned, it's quite possible six may never ever live to see the day when there's a profit there. And and so investors are going to be scratching their heads and maybe worrying a little bit about why should I buy this company when they haven't even shown that they can be profitable yet. Well, Doug, thanks for the update on IPOs. And we will talk to you after the holidays. Okay. Have a good holiday, Kaiser. And to you, Doug. And to our listeners, we will be back after the new year. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Syndicate Business Brief is powered by SUP China and is produced by Kaiser Guo and Tanner Brown with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Thanks, of course, to Ada Shen. 
special thanks to Lee Sim of Tyson Global and to Spring and Autumn and Wu Fei for the music. Be sure to check out all the other shows about contemporary China in the expanding Seneca Network, and be sure to follow the news from China every day at SubChina. Subscribe to our newsletter at subchina.com. Take care.